Later today, the streets of New York City will be filled with ghouls, goblins, and at least a few Bernie Madoffs as the Greenwich Village Halloween Parade makes its way up 6th Avenue in Manhattan. This is the 36th annual parade, and this year's theme is Terra Incognita, which is Latin for unknown land. Good morning. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. In just a moment, we'll pay a visit to Abracadabra, a big Halloween costume shop in the Chelsea section of Manhattan, to get an idea of what's hot this Halloween. Also today, what's Halloween without a good ghost story? We'll hear a few spooky tales this half hour. And they're not out for your blood and certainly won't turn into Bella Lugosi. But Brooklyn is home to a good number of bats. We'll meet a guy who knows all about them this morning on Cityscape. Glad you're with us. For Bob Pinzone, Halloween is a lot like Christmas Eve. He's the co-owner of the Abracadabra Costume Shop in Manhattan's Chelsea neighborhood and is expecting a slew of last-minute shoppers today. We recently paid Bob a visit and asked him what costume he'll be wearing this Halloween. Me? Uh... I'm really uh, too busy to really get into it. Uh, you know, we got a, a huge store, 11,000 square feet store, and I'm really making sure that everybody, it's, it's, you know, every corner is covered, and uh, I just don't have the time to, to really celebrate. But, it, but, but I enjoy being part of it. You know, you're here, you see everybody dressing up, and everybody's having a great time. So, you know, that's good enough for me. So no costume this year, huh? No costume. We're looking at it. <laughs> you're the abracadabra guy. I'm the man. So, you know, I, they need to see me the way I look. Why don't you walk us around the store here, show us some of the costumes. This looks like you could be Cher in this one over here. Uh, well, this is a, a brand new costume that we picked up. It's a, um, um, a, da- a dancing, um, belly dancer. Uh, like a belly dancer, you know, the, the high-end kind of thing. Um, and we do have some high-end costumes like the, uh, the Romans. It's very popular. You know, the whole leather harness with the leather helmet and stuff like that. We have um, a Michael Jackson, the moonwalk. Billie Jean. The Billie Jean kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's really nice. Uh, How hot is Michael Jackson this year? Well, this year is hot. I mean, he's always hot, you know. And because of his death, I think we're going to pick up some more steam uh, this, this last week coming up. Do you have any of the satirical costumes here as well? Satirical costumes? You know, the Halloween <laughs> parade is all about satire. A lot of people like to poke fun. Well, exactly. We have funny ones. A lot of them will be in the package, co- in the package area. But if there's something unusual and you want to get crazy, uh, we can put, put it together for you. That's not a problem. Besides Michael Jackson, what are some of the other hot sellers? Well, superheroes is always hot. You know, the normal guys, you know, Batman. Uh, and and then he's, uh, there was Mickey, Mighty Mouse is over here, you know. So we have all these crazy, like, old-time superheroes to uh, Captain America. Those kind of things, a lot of guys go for that. But for girls, it's always sexy. Sexy thing. They love to look good. And, you know, it's a fun once-a-year once kind of fantasy that they want to, uh, you know, go with it. What are some of the sexy costumes? This one's pretty sexy. The belly dancer, of course. Yeah, but what else? Yeah, that that is sexy. But I'm t- I'm talking sexy. <laughs> you know what's sexy? Uh, well, our sexy pirates, our nurses, our police, uh, witches. You know, you name it. It's just endless. You know, we got a whole section of that. What about some of the political stuff? Do you have political masks here? The political masks we have it in our in our in our uh, mask section, and uh, we have we have a few selection. You know, and. Um, what happens is that uh, they're as popular, you know, just for, for a little while, and then they, you know, they lose, they lose the steam. So we have a whole section full of the ex-presidents. Obama is the only one that's really popular right now. It's something that we really don't uh, get too much into, you know. It's about fun. Forget about the politics. In addition to the Obama mask, do you have the prop, the Nobel Peace Prize? I would imagine a lot of people want to carry that this year. <laughs> no, unfortunately, we don't have that. You know, there's so many things that you can get into, but... Uh, 
we're really concentrating more on fun things. What costumes would you say are timeless? Timeless would always be superheroes, I believe. You know, it's always a superhero. It doesn't matter if there's a movie out there for Spider-Man, the Batman. That doesn't have to be. They always timeless. And the other thing would be romance. Romance is like one of the most popular things. It's like no matter. I mean, we did well with that movie last year, 300. But it's always like the first things that go. Right behind you here, I see a vampire costume, or at least I should say a cape for a vampire costume. Vampires are huge yeah. these oh, days. That's another I mean, you know, yeah, we have the... Twilight, the Vampire Diaries. Yeah, that's another timeless thing. It's just, uh, it, you know, every year in and year out, it's a popular thing. So it doesn't matter if there's a movie out there. People want to be vampires, though. So, you know, you have shoes, I see here, as well, huh? Yeah, the shoes, sexy shoes. Uh, the, the 70s is very popular. The platform shoes, I don't know if you remember that. The one with the goldfish in it. Uh, sandals for Romans. You know, the, the, the ladies like to wear all these uh, fancy shoes that go with their costumes, like a pirate costume and stuff like that. How does you one know? walk in that boot? That is a Frankenstein boot, boot. Yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Well, they do. I mean, that's like uh, some, something like uh, the uh, Kiss outfit. Little Gene Simmons, okay. Yeah, I can see sporting you know, that. Anything goes. You know, it's, it's not about comfort. You know, <laughs> It doesn't matter how comfortable you are. It's you want to do something different and want to have a good time, and that's what it's all about. What's the oddest thing someone's come in here and asked you for, for a costume? Oh, uh, the lady in costume, she told me that somebody wanted to be a horse ass. <laughs> how does one become a horse's ass? Well, well, I know how one becomes one, but in a costume. In a costume, she took one of these butts that you see out here. We got a tail, and she put it together, and the guy was very happy. I Don't ask me the rest of the details, but she did it. <laughs> got to love the creativity, huh? <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot about creativity, and you see in the parade how some of these costumes are like, my God, that is so cool, you know? And New York is very creative. Do you head down the street here to 6th Avenue well, and watch the believe, parade? You better believe it. Yeah, of course. It, it's right here in the corner from us, so we get to see the end of it. Uh, but it's still electrifying the whole city after the um, the parade ends. It's still crazy, you know, the town. It's like now it starts to spread out onto the side streets, and they come here, right here on 21st Street to come into the store, and, and it's still a big party all the way. It's like Christmas for you, isn't it? It sure is. Great. Well, I thank you so much for no showing your place. No problem. Thank you very much for coming. Bob Pinzone is the co-owner of the Abracadabra Costume Shop on West 21st Street in Manhattan. Central Park is a great place to jog, bike ride, or just take a stroll. But whatever you do, don't play Beethoven on your iPod. New York City tour guide Maria Deering explains why. This is the story of the ghostly cornetist who haunted this band shell in this part of the park in the summer of 1912. Every summer then, as there still are now, there are outdoor concerts that were free to the public. And during July of 1912, the concerts were frequently interrupted by a high-pitched cornet blast. No one could figure out where it was coming from. And the strange thing was that the cornetist only haunted the band shell when the band played Beethoven. So the conductor would strike up a Beethoven concerto, and all of a sudden, from the distance, you'd hear horrible, high-pitched sound. As soon as the Beethoven stopped, the cornetist would stop. One time, the band struck up the Leonora Overture by Beethoven, and the cornetist came back with double the force, playing airs from Tannhäuser, Wagner's opera. People were so upset because they had to stop the concert so that the music would stop, I mean the cornet music. The park rangers went to look for whoever this was. 
people sitting in the benches looked around. No one could find out where the sound was coming from. There used to be a casino up the hill behind this band shell, and they thought maybe it was somebody from there. But they searched it, and it wasn't. Well, one day late in the summer, an old sailor named Ben Sennett said, Oh, you're looking in all the wrong places. That really is a male jackass. Now, a jackass is not a donkey or a mule. It's a kind of a mimic bird, like a minor bird. He said, that's got to be it. That's got to be it. must have escaped from a local zoo. And it can mimic anything. It can mimic animals. It can mimic human voices and music. So you have to look for the escaped male jackass. But no one ever found that, and no one ever found the source of the music. And it stopped at the end of that summer. So I wonder if it was an old Ben Sennett himself. <laughs> Had I known this story before I arrived, I would have brought a recording of Beethoven and put this to the test. <laughs> that would be really good because where we're standing right now, this Naumburg band shell has been repaired many times, but there's a door at the back of the orchestra, and you do kind of wonder if the ghost wouldn't come right out that door onto the stage to where we're standing. I understand this park also has a ghost by the name of Mary Berg. Yes. Um, She actually haunts uh, the park a bit farther north than where we're standing. And it's a fascinating story. The park used to have attendants at all the gates, and they would patrol the park perimeter every night. And they patrolled it a little farther north, around 92nd Street, um, because a ghost named Heiser's Ghost was reputed to walk every night. And so they were used to seeing Heiser's ghost, and they sort of keep an eye out for it. One night in looking for Heiser's ghost, they found a young woman sitting on a bench in the dark, in the 90s, upper 90s of the park. And they could tell she wasn't a ghost. She was fully dressed in a beautiful red and brown outfit with a jacket on, gloves, and a handbag. What they noticed was that her head was slumped over onto her chest and a red stain above the left breast was spreading throughout her dress. So they tapped her. She was alive. And on the ground near her feet, they found a small pistol. And they tried to talk to her, and she roused herself. And they said, who are you? What is your name? She said, my name is Mary Berg. I'm from the Alsace. I came here as a young girl. Where? Why are you here? Did you shoot yourself? Yes, I did. I've wanted to die since I was six years old. Well, that's a pretty incredible statement. They had never seen her before. So they called, however, they were able to call the police and an ambulance. This is the late 19th century. And the ambulance took a while to come, and so they kept talking to her, trying to get more information. Were you jilted by your lover? Did something happen to your family? Did you have a child who died? And she said nothing. All she would say was her name and where she was from. Well, they finally got her into the ambulance and took her to the hospital. She told a different story then. She said she was from Germany and not from the Alsace. That she had come here as a young girl, it was true. She didn't talk about being a seamstress at the time, so basically she gave a lot of conflicting stories. No one ever found out who she really was or why she shot herself, but the speculation was that when she was released from the hospital, she would just disappear. And no one ever found her, and there was never any follow-up to this story. So was Mary Berg a ghost? 
perhaps she was the reason that Heiser was haunting the park. Olmsted and Box were the creators of this great park. Any indication that they're still hanging around here? Hmm, I sort of wonder because the spot where we're standing is at the edge of the mall that used to be called the Promenade, and this is where all the statues of writers and artists are. They really didn't want statues or entertainments, the carousel, things that are fun for people to do. They did design Belvedere Castle, which was supposed to be a wonderful surprise. So I sometimes wonder if they don't kind of check out what's going on here. <laughs> and I don't know how pleased they would be. Well, I just got to chill down my spine, so maybe they are with us. <laughs> I don't know of any sightings myself, to tell you the truth, but I, I do wonder. Maria Deering will share more ghostly tales from Central Park later in the show. Ghosts are Maria's thing, but Paul Keene is all about bats, and not just on Halloween. He takes people on bat-watching tours in Prospect and Central Parks. We chatted with him by phone earlier this week. New York City is a tremendous uh, place for bats. In just about every one of the boroughs, there are bats everywhere. You have a lot of tree-lined streets, a lot of neighborhoods. You have big parks and plenty of insects. That's what they eat. That's what they eat. Most, all the bats that we have here in the United States, for the most part, are all insect eaters, uh, which is good for us because that gets rid of the mosquitoes and all the other nasty insects that eat uh, the farmer's crops. Now, you're most familiar with the bats of Prospect Park in Brooklyn, right? Yes. What can you tell us about those bats? Okay, first of all, there's, it's a very healthy population, uh, not affected by what's been going on with what they call the white-nose syndrome, which has been wreaking havoc on many of the bat species in the east. Prospect Park just went through a tremendous renovation over the last 10 years, so it's put a tremendous amount of new wildlife into Prospect Park. We have a big population of little brown and big brown bats, some living in the park, others living around the park using a lot of the wooden frame brownstones. A lot of the areas in the top of the brownstones are made of wood and have a lot of space where the bats can sneak into little cracks and roost for the day, and then they come into the park at night to eat. What's the insect du jour for a bat? As many mosquitoes as they can get. As the summer goes on, juicy things like the cicadas and your katydids become terrific meals. Uh, a bat must eat its body weight every night to maintain its metabolism so that within an hour, a little brown bat can eat up to 500 to 1,000 mosquitoes. Wow. Uh, but the bat only weighs roughly about two-tenths to four-tenths of an ounce. So if you think about that and the number of mosquitoes, but if you were a human, just think of having to eat your body weight every day in food. I wouldn't want to do that. It would be pretty intense. Oh, <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as what they look like, do the names say it all? Little brown bat, big brown bat? Yes, the, the names are very coherent with the look of the bats. Little brown bat is pretty much all brown with black wings and small, only about a 10-inch wingspan. And the big brown bat is, again, very brown, reddish or dark brown and big uh, black wings. And they, their wingspan is up to about 15 to 16 inches. Now, I understand that there are also red bats in Brooklyn? I am convinced that there is a small population in 
Brooklyn, though what most of the books say is they don't know the status of the populations of red bats, but I really truly think that there are a small population in prospect. I've seen them in the spring, and I've seen them in the fall. They're one of the bats that you might see uh, during the day because they tend to roost in small saplings. They wrap themselves in leaves and often get disturbed by squirrels and and wind and things and get knocked out of the trees, and that's when you see them during the day flying around. How red is a red bat? Very red, much like a red fox. It's it's one of the most beautiful bats uh, as far as the color. Do we have any reason to be fearful of bats? No, and that's pretty much the reason why I've taken on the task of doing these bat walks because bats were not really there was not really much known about bats until around the 1930s when they actually figured out how the bats were able to collect the insects uh, they figured out with echolocation a couple scientists discovered it and so the bats do not have any fear of humans though they avoid humans at all costs uh, we don't have anything to worry about because the bats are eating all the insects that bother us. Uh, some of the things, like blind as a bat, is a completely false. They have incredible eyesight. Uh, that they're going to drink your blood is really totally false, although there are three species of vampire bats that live in Central South America, so we don't have to worry about those in New York. And for the most part, they drink the blood of livestock. So for the most part, none of the bats are going to bother us. One thing that they say is they're going to get in your hair, but being human and being a mammal like the bat, we're warm-blooded so that we give off a lot of heat, and there's always insects over your head, and the bats are echolocating for those insects over your head and not about to fly in your hair. So they can see you at quite a distance, up to 15, 20 feet, so they will easily avoid you. Uh, although they do come close and it can be scary. I was going to say I would imagine that's both scary and exhilarating at the same time. It is, and when people actually do get a chance to see how harmless they really are, by the time they leave my walk, they are completely fearless of bats. Describe for us the flying pattern of bats. The flying patterns vary according to species. The two that we have, the little brown and the big brown, the little brown tends to fly in straight lines, and they go in, in large circles, you know, up to 100, 200 feet, and go in circles uh, perusing for insects. Uh, the big brown bat tends to use gliding, which you don't usually get too much from bats, even though they can fly and they have the ability to create those different aspects that they need for flight. Gliding is much harder for a bat because of the weight as opposed to a bird which has feathers and is a little bit more buoyant. So summer is prime time for viewing bats. What happens during the winter? Do they hibernate? They hibernate. They start to disperse uh, usually the end of August, early September, depending on when the first cold fronts come through. They came through early this year, so they started to disperse by mid-September. Uh, all the bats here in the United States, for the most part, do hibernate, other than the ones that can live out in the West that can uh, stay with insects year-round. But for the most part, all the temperate zone bats that live here in the East all migrate 
and hibernate. Hmm. So where would you say they are right now? They've migrated to usually 100, 200-mile radius outside of New York City, usually into New Jersey and Pennsylvania. There are often a lot of old iron mines. There's caves and things along the upper part of the Appalachians, and they go into complete sleep and don't wake up again until, until March. And then they fly right back here to New York City? And then they start flying back to New York City. Okay, Paul, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, and uh, go Yankees. Paul Keene's The Batman of New York City. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Borarki. Next up, another ghostly tale. This one from storyteller Regina Ress, who may still be living with a specter at her Greenwich Village apartment. So, I've been asked to tell a ghost story about New York City. Ghosts in New York? Well, there must be. I bet there are even books of New York ghost stories. But do I have a ghost story, a personal ghost story? Well, having worked a lot at the old Provincetown Playhouse, I always bowed to the ghosts of Eugene O'Neill and Edna St. Vincent Millay and Paul Robeson and the others from its early heyday, and now I wonder where they might have gone since the building has been gutted. I worry about those ghosts, but bow as I did each time I entered the playhouse. I never actually met any of them. Oh, for sure there are ghosts here, beneath our hustle and busy bustle. I wonder what they think of us. Maybe they think we're the ghosts. I was pondering this question of ghosts in New York when I happened upon this oddity in New York Magazine. According to a Rent.com survey, 51% said they would live with a ghost for free rent. 30% said they would do it for free utilities. 23% said they would do it for a free flat-screen TV with cable. And 31% said they would not live with a ghost under any circumstance. Besides wondering who the they is... I wonder why those numbers add up to more than 100%. I guess when dealing with the supernatural, numbers, too, can be a bit flimsy. Actually, I did live with a ghost here in New York. I still might, though she hasn't shown up in a very long time. I think I know who it was, too, but I wouldn't swear to it. When I first moved into my tiny tenement apartment back in the early 70s, The neighborhood was a bit shaky, and the building was, well, let's not use the word derelict, but semi-derelict for sure. My apartment, for instance, had been empty for six months, was a total wreck, and it was up to me to fix it. Those plaster and lath walls so carefully displayed in the Lower East Side Tenement Museum, that was my apartment. Now, as I was told, there had been a woman living in this apartment for 40 years before I landed here. And some folks in the building said she was crazy, or alcoholic, or both, and and she would wander the halls, sometimes screaming like a banshee, in her white flannel nightgown. Paul, the alcoholic super, used to talk about her. Nuts, he'd say, running around in her nightgown with the sleeves torn out under the arm. Weird, he'd say, this raggedy white flannel number, her arms waving in the air so you could see where the sleeve was torn out. But just one he'd say. The other was just shredded under the arm. Crazy lady. She'd turn and look at you. If you happened on her, she'd stare. And if you said anything like, hey, Angie, maybe you should go back in the apartment, she'd give you this weird look and back off like she was trying to make herself invisible. Nuts, 
she finally jumped out the window. At least that's what Paul said. Some of the old ladies in the building said, Ah, don't listen to Paul. Angie just croaked in bed one night, too much booze and sadness. Gave up the ghost, she did, and that old flannel nightgown. Don't know what happened to her. They just carried her out and then closed the apartment for six months. And then you moved in. <laughs> well, I fixed up the apartment and settled in and did my thing and forgot all about her. Until my son was about six years old. He had inherited my bedroom, and I had turned the small living room into my room, and the kitchen was between us. That was the apartment. That is the apartment. Anyway, one night I woke up hearing him crying and calling me. Okay, here is my son's version of what happened. I was sleeping and woke up to pee, and I heard the handles on the dresser drawer being flicked, so they whacked back and forth, back and forth. And I started climbing down my loft ladder, and I saw what I thought was you, Mom. I was still groggy from sleep, so I only really saw the side of a white nightgown and didn't think about the fact that you didn't have a long white nightgown. Anyway, the part that was especially clear was under the arm, like the sleeve was torn. I saw that, and I said, Oh, Mom, you startled me, and the head turned almost to face me while it slowly disappeared. I don't even remember touching the ladder on the way back up. I just kind of shot straight up in the air, landed in bed, and yelled for you. I wonder why the part under the arm was so clear. It was real creepy. And then you came in, and I spent the next three nights in your room, and then you smudged my room with sage, and I finally let you put me to bed there again. I stopped him in his narrative. Walkthroughs? Yeah. Sometimes at night it was like Grand Central in there, but I was cool about it and let them pass through. They never bothered me. Yeah, that room is great. I just figure it holds several dimensions at once. So that's my son's story, and mine too, as I am now back in that bedroom. And while I have yet to see a ghost in or out of a white flannel nightgown or to feel the walkthroughs on their way to God knows where, I have to say that I have the wildest dreams in there. The Greenwich Village Halloween Parade passes right under the window. I wonder if our ghost and walkthroughs hang out watching it from there. I may check that out this year. Regina Russ is a storyteller right here in New York City. And from the West Village, we go to the Upper West Side. Apparently, apparitions abound here in New York City. Tour guide Maria Deering told me a tale about a haunting at the Mayfair Towers, right next door to the Dakota where John Lennon lived and died. This is a story that I collected from a resident of the Mayfair who's lived there for over 40 years now. When the Mayfair was built, part of the land that had belonged to the Dakota was cleared, and part of that land was a playground. So the children lost their playground in favor of putting up the Mayfair. Mayfair is a big modern building, and the Dakota, as you know, is sort of in the style of the Plaza Hotel. One day, new tenants had just moved in, and the woman who told me this story said she was in her kitchen making dinner. She had a bicycle with a bell that she had to push to ring, and it took some effort. And all of a sudden, she heard the bicycle bell ringing, came out of the kitchen, thought her husband had come home and was playing a joke on her, but there was nobody there. So she thought, well, that's really strange. The wind couldn't do that. Went back into the kitchen. Not long after that, 
she and her husband both had been smokers, and they had one of those very heavy crystal cigarette lighters that people used to favor putting on their coffee tables. And she smelled something burning, came back out of the kitchen and saw the flame from the cigarette lighter shooting feet up into the air on the highest setting, clamped down the lighter. Now she's really started to get scared. She didn't know what was going on. And this happened a couple of times. Talked to her husband about it. He said, well, I don't know. So she happened to be at a chocolate shop in the neighborhood that no longer exists and mentioned this to the owner. And he said, oh, that's the little girl from the Dakota. What you have to do is tell her that she can still play in the playground as long as she doesn't cause any harm or damage anything in your apartment. So you need to go back into your apartment and tell her that. So this lady, who's from the South, and as she herself said, no stranger to ghost stories, walked back into her living room, stood there and said, little girl, I don't want to take away your playground, but you can't burn up my apartment and you can't damage my things. And from that day forward, pretty much everything has been okay, except some years after that, maybe 25, 30 years after that, this same woman was cleaning out a kitchen cupboard and found a beautiful, pristine white feather from a bird who had belonged to her 10, 15 years before that. And there was no chance that that feather was left over from a bad cleaning because she was meticulous. So she thinks maybe the little girl left just a little reminder that she'd been back. The ghost of the Mayfair. The ghost of the Mayfair. Maria Deering, thank you so much. Thank you, George. Happy Halloween. Maria Deering is a New York City tour guide. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producer Skylar Srivastava. Have a safe and happy Halloween. I do believe in spooks. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do believe in spooks. I do believe in spooks. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too.